Welcome to the Zero Trust Architecture and the Federal Government Podcast Series, hosted on Government Technology Insider. I'm your host, Matt Langan. Civilian agencies need to be ever more vigilant with security threats following significant breaches in late 2020 and early 2021. One of the first steps to improving security posture was in 2021 with the executive order on improving the nation's cybersecurity. While supplying critical information, the order left many agencies needing more concrete guidance. And earlier this year, in January of 2022, the White House issued the M-22-09 Memorandum. The memorandum outlined strategies and provided more insights for agencies on zero-trust architecture. And for civilian agencies who may regularly interface with the American public and handle highly sensitive personal information, having a robust zero-trust architecture in place is vital. And having a workforce understanding zero-trust principles can help with securing the network. In this episode titled Improving Security Posture with Zero Trust Architecture, we are speaking with Jim Farrell, who's the Senior Cybersecurity Solution Executive at Verizon, and Wayne LaRiche, who's the Field CTO at Palo Alto Networks, more about this topic. And Jim and Wayne, thanks for joining us today. Great. Thanks for having us, Matt. Thank you, Matt. Yeah, it's great to have you both. And let's go ahead and kick it off. So what are some of the challenges that civilian agencies have faced securing their network infrastructure, including insider threats? And we'll start with Jim on that one. Yeah, thanks, Matt. I think we all know that civilian agencies are under constant cyber attack, as well as enterprises, right? And some of the challenges they're facing are a shortage of cyber talent. They've got a lack of training. There's limited threat intelligence, and they've got legacy cyber solutions that just aren't effective in supporting the remote workforce. So if we look at the Verizon 2022 Data Breach Investigations Report, you're going to see that 62% of the breaches were due to the use of stolen credentials and ransomware. 21% were due to misconfiguration or errors. 20% due to social engineering. So. All combined, 82% of the breaches involve a human element. So people are a big challenge. In addition, agencies are challenged with securing this remote workforce with legacy point solutions that just do a poor job of securing remote workers. So I think what the data tells me is we need to provide more cyber awareness training on how to avoid common misconfiguration errors in social engineering. And given the workforce is remote, applications are moving in the cloud, it is even more important to make sure they have secure remote access to only the applications that they absolutely have to use. So the best way to do that would be implement like a zero trust strategy, starting with securing identities, eventually implementing a secure access service edge type solution that will help eliminate this, the legacy VPNs that are out there. So I'd say a combination of more cyber awareness training, zero trust education, combined with more modern cyber capabilities that are in line with NIST and the White House is a good start. Thanks, Jim. Appreciate those insights. Wayne, anything to add to that one? Yeah, yeah. And thanks, Jim. I mean, that's really great data and information. I think that the kind of the numbers, you know, kind of, uphold the fact that there are unwitting insider threats, right? So you have victims of like, say, spear phishing attacks or, or something of that nature where 
you know, they end up having some type of command and control traffic or data fill, data exfil traffic being masqueraded as known good traffic. So zero trust is important to block that bad traffic that's intermixed with the good traffic, right? So you may have something like, you know, a DNS leaking domain generated algorithms that leak sensitive data and things like that, right? So we take a holistic zero trust approach and architecture that prevents that data loss and that those low and slow attacks by analyzing, you know, all the traffic during and even after transactions. So, you know, we have insider threats, we have unwitting insider threats, we have bad actors, things of that, right? So we really have to limit access based on a number of things like user roles, attributes, behavioral context, and et cetera. Great insights there. Thank you so much. Let's talk about zero trust. And can you explain it? Is it a single thing or is it composed of many different subcomponents like zero trust architecture and zero trust network architecture? And we'll stick with Wayne on this one. Yes, thanks, Matt. Yeah, I think that the kind of the marketing out there may have confused things a little bit within zero trust. And to answer your question, I do not think it's a single thing or, you know, it's you can't focus it solely on like identity or micro-segmentation, et cetera, because every enterprise, every agency is a little bit different. Some may be focused on things like IoT devices. Some may be focused on, you know, actually publishing, you know, information on the web or in an HR perspective, like, so they're really focused on identity. But zero trust is well-documented in documents like the NIST 800-207 special publications which is defining it as a strategic approach to cybersecurity. So we want to secure organizations and enterprises by eliminating, you know, things like implicit trust, continually validating every stage of digital interactions. And so to your question and to the point is that there are a number of components to zero trust that we want to include things like identity, network access, data protections, micro segmentation, et cetera. All right. Great. Thanks, Wayne. Appreciate those insights. Jim, anything to add to that one? Yeah, those are great insights. And, you know, I see zero trust as a framework and it's got pillars of areas that need to be protected. Got users, devices, networks, your infrastructure, your applications, your data, your analytics, your orchestration. So you've got, you can take a look at all these pillars in there. And below those pillars, you'll find there's capabilities that need to be secured. So there's like 40 to 50 capabilities depending on the zero trust model that you're looking at. So I think there's a misunderstanding around zero trust. It's not a product. I mean, it's funny. I've had a couple agencies ask me to provide a zero trust demo or provide a price for zero trust, which is virtually impossible as you know, zero trust is really a concept of never trusting any person or device and always verifying. So uh, most agencies, you know, we've seen it just starting their zero trust journey by implementing multi-factor authentication. And that's a good logical starting point for zero trust, but only one of many of the capabilities that need to be secured depending on the model. So I see zero trust as a journey and most agencies are just starting the journey. So as a colleague of mine likes to say, we're only at the five yard line when it comes to implementing zero trust. So many civilian agencies are focused on various network transformation projects. With this in mind, what security challenges do these transformations create? And what are ways that Zero Trust can assist? And we'll start with Jim on this one. Okay. So I think we all know agencies are moving to the cloud, and that's a new dynamic for many of them uh, because they've been 
securing their ass to it's by a castle moat scenario where security's typically behind the perimeter. But with today, the cloud-based solutions, the perimeter has expanded beyond the castle. Now people are working from home 90% of the time. So implementing integrated cloud-based security solutions like zero trust principles will allow agencies to secure their assets in this time of transformation. So I'd say with this new dynamic of cloud and working from home, NIST has provided guidance for us and the next generation of the trusted internet connection. So what TIC 3.0 is providing is a framework for security of cloud applications, remote office workers, branch offices. And this guidance gives agencies more flexibility and have more control in securing their data now and their endpoints. And it allows for security and networking in the cloud and protects users no matter you know where they are relative to their primary data center. So now security will provide at the edge of the network. No longer you have to be routed through an MTIPS platform or a TIC platform every time they need access. So I think designing zero trust principles into these transformation projects is how agencies can support this new dynamic. The most basic wow. protection will start with deploying a multi-factor authentication solution, and I think documenting all the devices they have on their networks and their access privileges. Awesome. Thanks, Jim. Wayne, anything to add to that one? Yeah, I think modernization and transformation projects are very important, but they should you know, coexist with zero trust. I mean, there's no reason why you wouldn't want to include zero trust architectures within those projects. So when we talk about modernizing with zero trust architectures at the outset, we will provide things like a more secure enterprise and you know level the playing field for different agencies. We're talking specifically about civilian agencies here. So in other words, small micro agencies can have the same security posture as a very large agency. And as Jim mentioned, you know, zero trust architectures can also help with the modernization of work as workloads move to the cloud. So the whole system works in concert, you know, for real-time zero trust. But also things that we've already done in the past, like logging and telemetry behaviors, those things can be analyzed for threat hunting, even after real-time zero trust decisions are made. So we take tools like the SOC and the existing tools such as SIM, and we can use those to automate threat discovery and remediation. So how has the idea of zero trust gained traction, say, within civilian agencies? And we'll start with Jim on this one. Thanks, Matt. You know, with the executive order that's been released and the guidance out there for protecting data and systems, we've seen an exponential uptick in the agency's desire to learn more about zero trust. So I think it's gained a lot of traction with our customers. And most of our discussions are around TIC 3.0 and zero trust, which is a component of the TIC 3.0. And we're now performing you know, zero trust assessments more and more our customers are requesting them. And if you take a look at the FedRAMP marketplace, you're going to see that you know, there's 77 authorization for SASE or SASE-like solutions, which helps solve for TIC 3.0 and zero trust use cases. So I think this is an area that will be top of mind in the coming years ahead. And agencies are literally at the beginning of this journey are now just starting to plan and implement pieces of zero trust. Like I said before, starting with multi-factor authentication and more cloud-native type security solutions. Great, thanks. And can you explain the impact of M-22-09, the memorandum, and what led to a more specific zero-trust route rather than broader cybersecurity guidelines? And um, 
we'll go with Wayne on this one. Sure, sure. I mean, M2209 really builds upon the foundation that was laid by the May 2021 executive order on improving cybersecurity. So we have M2209 that really introduces specific goals and provides detailed outlines on, you know, what exactly the department agencies need to adopt. I mean, it specifically calls out things like phishing resistant MFA, which is, you know, basically moving to, you know, a PIV card or some type of hardware token or moving from the perimeter to a continual verification. So we have things in there like device posture assessments, moving from that role-based access to attribute based access, and also moving toward the, you know, more information sharing between the agencies. And it emphasizes private and public partnerships. So that's one of the reasons why this is unprecedented and really shows this urgent need to shift to a zero trust adoption. I think part of, you know, the catalyst here was all those high profile cyber attacks of the last 24 months, many of which went undetected for quite a while, you know, things like log for shell or solar storm. You know, for our last question today is how will agencies continue to keep abreast of security threats and evolve once they've implemented zero trust? And we'll start with Wayne on this one. Thanks. I mean, this is where some of the information sharing aspect of, you know, the executive order and M2209 come into play. You know, government agencies are basically directed to start to develop playbooks and share those findings with each other. And, you know, additionally, Department agencies can leverage the private-public partnerships like those with Palo Alto and Verizon cyber teams. So, you know, the idea is that to keep abreast of those security threats and evolve, agencies should be leveraging those external partners and take in those independent perspectives to help them, you know, to evaluate the real-world security of those agency applications. So we want to build a more realistic picture of the agency attack surface and vulnerabilities and tighten up things like the supply chain, provide processes for coordinated disclosure of vulnerabilities and the like. Thanks, Wayne. Jim, would love your take on this. Yeah, thanks. I believe implementing a zero trust network architecture in the cloud will give agencies, will free up more of their cyber resources. And it's going to give them more time to focus on actual threats as they evolve. And I also see, you know, utilizing cloud-based security platforms that can benefit from getting more up-to-date code bases. They've got real-time monitoring they're going to see of all their devices on the network. They're going to get better cyber intelligence, more visibility that they would have never received before. So I think, you know, with this new generation of security, it's going to prove very beneficial for them to keep up with the TTPs or the tactics, techniques, and procedures that the nation states and organized crime is using out there. So I'd say, and one of the things in our studies that, you know, implementing like a SASE or secure access service edge type solution, a typical agency can solve for about 80% of those capabilities I mentioned earlier. So that's really beneficial. Having an integrated solution and not a point solution will really help them move quickly into the zero trust world and gives them more threat intelligence. So, you know, it's a battle out there and you got to have a strong partner. It's a battle out there. You've got a strong partner. You need to have more cyber resources available. And, that, you know, having a strong partner who understands the cyber world that we're in, the cyber war that we're in, is a great start for government and industry to help you fight against continued threats that are out there. 
Awesome. This concludes the Zero Trust Architecture and the Federal Government episode titled Improving Security Posture with Zero Trust Architecture. We're Jim Farrell, who's the Senior Cybersecurity Solution Executive at Verizon, and Wayne LaRiche, the Field CTO at Palo Alto Networks, provided detailed insights into how Zero Trust Architecture can help civilian agencies enhance their security postures and much more. And Jim and John, thank you so much for your time today. Thanks so much, Matt.